We would like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which Waroni is created. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that the name Waroni was taken from the Wadi Wadi Nation without permission and we are striving to do better for future reconciliation. Hello. Hello. Um, I'm Isaiah. I'm Lachlan. And welcome to Mr. Burns, a post-electric podcast. Woo! Yeah. Um, sick. So, we are directing a show this year. Yeah, we are. It's part of Nuts' season for 2023. Mm -hmm. What's the show called? (laughs) It's very original. It's Mr. Burns, a post-electric podcast. Play. Wow, that's that's eerily similar to to the name of the podcast. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, um, made that. <laughs> um, sick. So, when's the show going to be on? That's a really good question, Isaiah. Um, so the show <laughs> is going to be running from September twenty seventh to thirtieth, mm-hmm. um, week eight. For those of you who are little study Students. nerdy queens, um, which is super exciting. And I mean, it's a lot closer than I think it is. So mm. I need to stop. Mm. Thinking it's like a hundred years away. Um, so <laughs> sorry, I just got a call. Um, <laughs> we're recording, so yeah, it just doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so Lachlan and I, should we tell our little a little uh, meeting story of how we first met? When actually, when was it? So it feels like I feel like a bad boyfriend. <laughs> when we well, no, so we're. Both third years. Mm. Um, so we both began studying at ANU in 2021, uh, COVID, and we met whilst doing a show at ANU by Nuts as well, or like for Nuts, called Love and Information. Shout out to Sophie Tallis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was a great show, and we've been in- inseparable since then. So true. Um, with our combined love for theatre and storytelling and art. And each other. And each other. Um, <laughs> and it was late in that year, I believe, or early the next year, in second year, when we started talking about um, this play, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, uh, written by Anne Washburn, who is a pretty cool gal. Um, so <laughs> so we started chatting about this. How did you first uh, come to know the text, Lockie? Yeah, so I actually saw it in 2019 in Melbourne mm-hmm. um, as a part of uh, 45 Downstairs season in 2019. Um, it was produced by Lightning Jar Theatre, um, which is just just independent theatre company down in Melbourne um, who have produced a few plays um, that are that they're a bit bit off the traditional canon, um, like an adaptation of The Seagull called Stupid Fucking Bird um, <laughs> and just, just some random stuff like that. Um, and so I saw it as part of my year 11 drama class. We went, we had a grand old time. I had a couple of Krispy Kremes beforehand, um, <laughs> you know, all the vibes. Very important for exactly, the story. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I saw it and it blew my fucking mind. Mm. Like it was incredible. It was like obviously most people in Canberra might not know what 45 downstairs but it is like an underground theater essentially in in a basement that's just it can look so eerie and so spooky abandoned warehouse sort of vibes which is perfect for this show um as I'm sure you'll you'll come to know over this podcast series when we chat more about it but 
it was just such a wonderful experience to be able to see it and performed so well. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is a show that I would like to do myself. I want to get into the nitty and gritty of that. Mm. What about you, Isaiah? It is a really nitty gritty show. Um, so shout out to Alec Hasty. Um, <laughs> one of my mates who is a few years older than me went to acting school somewhere up in Brisbane. I can't remember the name of the school. But anyway, I was a little uh, year 10 or year 11. I don't know. And he'd come back down and, you know, he was... I'm from Tasmania, by the way. So he'd come back from the mainland acting school. It was all big news and everything. And <laughs> wow, he's made it. Um, he came down and was telling my brother Dan and I about a show... Shout out Dan Pritchard. Uh, <laughs> about a, a show that he was uh, currently doing, which was really cool, which was Mr. Burns' post-electric play. And he told us about it and... After that, I went away and I read the script, found it online, and I instantly fell in love. Um, I grew up watching The Simpsons. The show is not about The Simpsons, but it uses The Simpsons uh, as a way of storytelling, like as a medium um, for the, the theme to the, of the show to come through. But um, like, so through, I guess, the themes of storytelling and also the use of The Simpsons as that device, um, yeah, I fell in love with it because it's such a witty piece um, and it's, it has a variety of different, I guess, genres, um, which is also one of the reasons that um, I got really captivate, uh, captivated by it because I feel like quite often I want to do everything, you know? Like really? there'll be, I find it hard to commit to one thing mm. because I go, oh, but what if I did it this way? This and so this do. show you know, you're not committing to just naturalism. You're not committing to uh, just fast. It, you know, it, it has a bit of everything in it, which is really fun um, to explore that. And I suppose on that note, Isaiah, what's the play about? I'm glad you asked, Lachlan. Uh, so Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, is set in three acts. So um, the first act, it begins, so the title actually has a hint for you, post-electric. Um, the first act starts just after some big disaster slash event has happened where all electricity in the world has gone out. The grid has failed uh, and nuclear power plants are starting to blow up, flames everywhere, Bad. radiation That's everywhere. That's good. Bad. Bad, no electricity, no mobile phones, no texting on the toilet. Uh, lots of... No 2048. No 2048. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. No Flappy Bird. Um, no Flappy Gold. No Angry Birds. <laughs> no Angry Birds no Rio. Clash, no Clash of Clans. <laughs> yeah, no cock. Stop it. Um, but so the first act, we find a group of survivors, as we call them, about seven to ten weeks after the um, all electricity has gone out. They're in uh, America, USA, USA, and they're sitting around a campfire and to try and, I guess, raise morale and distract themselves from how shitty their life is, they um, are trying to recount an episode of The Simpsons. And so this buys into what I was saying earlier in regards to The Simpsons not being, like, the major, I guess, theme of the show, but it being a way through, a way in which the other themes come through. So they're sitting around recounting an episode of The Simpsons, um, and it gives vibes of, like, I don't know, like, like, like campfire ghost stories. Um, and it's, it's their way of con connecting and, you know, remembering the before times, the happy times, you know, when we could buy Bitcoin, um, 
No, when we could like watch The Simpsons. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> um, yeah, sick. And then we move on to. Oh, and so there's you also learn a bit about the politics of what it's like living in a post-electric world. Um, so uh, a new survivor comes along, and it's you know how do we react to new people? Uh, learning about news, which um, is very like why the mode of the Simpsons is so good because it, they're talking about it. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is is going to to poo, and so it is <laughs> to, poo. It, to poo. It's very contrasting to try and be like this is the light at the end of the tunnel trying to get through and so it is really interesting looking at that that contrast between them trying to to distract themselves and divert from the the poo <laughs> um and actually existing within that world of not good yeah yeah um and yeah as you said there's quite a big contrast in regards to yeah all, all the poo they're surrounded by <laughs> <laughs> um, the theme of the show. You know. And yeah, finding that glimmer of hope. And there's a big theme of human resilience there as well. And I guess the role of an artist within society. Why do we tell stories, you know, to distract mm. ourselves? Um, such and such. And we'll discuss that a bit more in depth, but I'll continue on with the analysis. Or actually, Lachlan, would you like to say what happens in the second act? Why not? Why not? So second act, we... We hop, skip, and jump into seven years later. Mm -hmm. um, same people, uh, but they're now a, a traveling theater troupe, um, which isn't that just the dream. Um, and so that's how they make their living, by performing Simpsons episodes, commercials, all of these things that we now don't have in life. Um, they're performing that as entertainment. So it's like the new TV. But it's it's fascinating because it's in, it's in a, a medium that exists already before electricity goes down which is theater mm. and acting but they've kind of co-opted television as well and put them into one thing being like this is the new the new netflix because there is no netflix yeah real um and so that is the whole thing and it's about it's still about those dynamics um and we learn a bit more about that at the end of the act but obviously i'm not going to tell you what happens because yeah. you don't have to just come see it exactly but then we get to <laughs> The act that is just like, what? Yeah, Act 3. I'm not sure if we want to talk too much about Act 3. No, I actually don't think we're going to say anything about it. But it's amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's going to be so much fun. Um, it's a play that makes you think and it makes you feel. And it's going to, you know, you're going to leave being like, what? And that's why we do theatre. <laughs> Real. That is why we do theatre. Yeah. So, when was it written? 2011? Uh, 2009. 2012. 2012. Sure. Okay. You were close. 2012, the year the world was going to die. 2012, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually inspired by the events of 2012. Yeah, because we all thought shit was going to happen and then it did not. Yeah, but. Real. It did in the play. Aztecs were wrong. Um, <laughs> but what's very interesting about it um, is... The play can be set, I guess, or is meant to be set after, like, or like in the present, as in the electrical shutdown, meltdown, whatever. Yeah, so like, it's not, our version is not set in 2012. In 2012. Weird, I was 10. Set in 2023, um, and then. It is, yeah, it's set now. 2030. And then a, a year and then beyond that. 2105. 
75 years No. Just don't give it away. Oh, yeah, it's not uh, said then. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a bit of a fool. Just bleed that out. Um, okay. Six, six. Why do we pick the text? Why okay. this text? Yeah, that's so important. I think it's a really important question not to get all like wanky theatery, but it is so <laughs> important as to like why why this text and why the mode of theater, I guess. And I think yeah. this text really questions the mode of theater itself and why we use it. Um, and the, in the face of tragedy and um, apocalypse, it is something we can still use because it is human. Like integrally it is a human art form that we can use the only instrument you need for it is your body and so it is such a fascinating thing whereas it's not the case for something like television radio film anything like that mm. like it is very it is based and grounded in ourselves which i find is so interesting and so i wanted to explore mm. this concept of how how is theater used in this in this world in which there is no actual um, electricity and there mm. isn't those things to keep us occupied, but ourselves, uh, and I think I think that was probably why. And I mean, I also biased picked it because I saw it and thought it was absolutely Great phenomenal. Show, yeah. um, and so I I really think it, it is it merits being seen by an audience and who can question that why theatre and come out of it with an answer like we have. For sure, for sure. I also, um, I feel like art in general in society is underappreciated. That sounds so wanky. Yeah, it does. But um, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of, I don't know, for me, thinking in regards to COVID, um, like when we were all locked indoors, you know, couldn't go outside, whatever, what did we turn to? We turned to Netflix. That was when... Tiger King was really big, I think. Yeah, I still haven't watched it. <laughs> Great show. No, I should. Um, but in terms of like, I feel like it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, entertainment or whatever is just a, it's not a necessity. Mm. Um, mm. What we need is, you know, all these other things. And while, you know, everything else is important, if we didn't have art, um, what really would there be for life? You, you know, like if... That sounds horrible. Let me let me rephrase that. I've had this conversation with one of my friends a few times, um, saying art is the spice of life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a little story. Oh no. So there's this little <laughs> funky thing called the spice trade, and the spice trade, I find crazy because you know, it was a very important thing. You know, if you own the, if you were in charge of the spice trade, uh, you know, you had power. Um, if you could trade spice or whatever, what is spice? You know. It's flavor. If we don't have that flavor, you know, we can survive without it. We can eat bland food. We can work a nine-to-five job. We, <laughs> we can do whatever. But for some reason, you know, people crave some flavor. They, they crave some color in their life. Um, something different. And I, I think that is, I guess to me, this is probably, again, really wanky. And I think Lachlan can attest to that. I can recognize um, that. But... Without art, I feel like there's not too much color in life. And, th and that doesn't mean any specific art. It, it doesn't mean, you know, painting or drawing or any classical art. I think art, when I mean art, I mean expression and self-expression. Because um, I fundamentally think that that's what 
art is for. It's for expressing yourself, your feelings, or emotions. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's not, people, I think, don't realize how important it is in life. You know, for as long as we can remember, we've been telling stories. Um, if you look back for thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, the earliest form of storytelling, the cave paintings, um, for as long as we know we've been telling stories because it's how we communicate to others. Um, it's how we connect to others as well. And so, like, yeah, going back to COVID, when we're all locked inside, what do we turn to? We turn to, I wouldn't really call Target King art, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, we, we, we turn to different forms of media, um, such as television and movies. Okay, all right, Isaiah. Music. I sound like I was going to challenge you on something. Yeah. I'm not. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Tell me how technology has changed storytelling then. Okay, interesting point. Well, obviously, I'm a... How old am I? I'm 21. I'm studying English and engineering. So I want to preempt anything I say with, I don't know. <laughs> Just like... Two things. I don't know, and this is probably going to sound wanky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how has technology changed storytelling? Well, that's very interesting. Oh. Um, well, we can, My least favorite fucking We can think sentence. back to the, uh, the printing press. Oh, okay, no. Nah, you, nah, you don't want to go that nah, far? <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. Because if you think traditionally in forms of writing, because writing is obviously a very big part of storytelling in regards to books, novels, mm. like in social media. Um, but in the early days, it was only the, I guess, the really, really wealthy that had access to proper education who could use those... Um, so you think it's kind of been an accessibility thing as well? Well, yeah, I think it started off that way. Yeah. And that's also interesting why, you know, if you think back, a lot of, that's why stuff like silent film and um, mime and all the like earlier, I guess like theater as well, like live stuff, visual stuff is, um, was much more accessible because. It was, why well, I, I feel like there was quite a perception that art was elitist. Yeah, art, art was for the elite, and I don't think, like, there's been all, obviously many movements that have changed that, but I don't know one like, poor theater, like that ability to to, to perform theater without the need for mm. for all this grandeur and this, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. cross arch and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, for and those sure. Movements of being able to just perform in the back of a bar or in um, some abandoned place during the war and things like that, mm. that really made that accessible and really emphasized that notion of it being for storytelling, not just for entertainment and yeah. For, 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 yeah, for entertainment's sake. For and so sure. it is, it has become quite moved beyond the elitist and, and moved into that. And I think technology has definitely helped with that in regards to the accessibility as we were saying before. Um, now, you know, everyone or the vast majority of people have access to the internet, have access to some form of writing, at least in Western culture. Yeah, exactly. I think that is an important point if we talk about it. In, but like, I think there are different values placed on art in different cultures. Yeah. Um, and I think the Western is very basic. It yeah. is very surrounded about, like centered around TV, film, that wouldn't necessarily be the case in every culture and yeah, every for sure. place. And I think, I think that is an important point as well. I think obviously we come from a very 
westernized point of view yeah. and that's really the perspective we can speak on yeah for sure but it is so fascinating how beyond the the western scope like indigenous and we talked about this in our production process indigenous storytelling and art has been for storytelling's sake yeah and wasn't kind of manipulated to be this elitist thing or or that it has even been like, a, like, a, like a commercial thing that no it exactly it well. was it, storytelling um and and passing on from generation to generation because they were the kind of mediums that we used which is a beautiful thing that is obviously still used to this day mm. um and i think is is underestimated in its power by by western culture yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's one thing social media has definitely done in regards to everyone is now an author. Mm. Um, everyone has the ability to post something to a wide enough audience in regards to share it with people across the world from different cultures. Um, whether that's a good thing is a, <laughs> is a yeah, whole other question. question. But um, it's made the ability to be able to tell your story a lot more accessible in that regard, mm. which I think is very interesting because with that, this show is about, you know, it starts off with all el electricity going out. You no longer have that option. Um, no. The world isn't at your fingertips anymore. Um, no, exactly. And it is, it is so about that, like, nostalgia and that storytelling, being able to remember life. How do we remember life seven years after technology's gone down well it has to be through storytelling and through physical means yeah there's no there's no digital archiving yeah for those purposes that's that's another thing that i also well that's a, a big part of this show so they recount this Sim this simpsons episode right that's what they're doing to distract themselves it's i guess pretty arbitrary what they're recount recounting um i'm pretty sure ann washburn was originally going to have them talking about friends yeah. uh, the tv show instead of the simpsons but then for various reasons, which we'll probably discuss as well, um, chose The Simpsons instead. Um, but as they're trying to remember it, obviously there's no proof of mm. what, of the you know exact lines in the episode, yeah. um, the exact intonation of the speech. Yeah, and I mean, we've been through, we're in the rehearsal process right now with a few Simpsons nerds, <laughs> as I was Ouch. one of them. Um, <laughs> Who are just who are literally saying, that's not, that's not what the line is like, and and it, that's the case because what we find like what's also so interesting about the first act is that it, a lot of it is verbatim. Mm. Um, what does that there's mean? A note. <laughs> well, verbatim <laughs> uh, for those playing at home is essentially those with, within <laughs> within the theater realm and obviously I, like without it as well um, is a, a mode of storytelling that is that has come from actual actual words that have been told. I'm a huge fan of verbatim theatre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you done a verbatim show? I have. <laughs> I have. My first show, The Laramie Project. Um, and it's just, it is very, that is the core of it. Is These are people's stories, real human stories. Mm. And so what was so fascinating about the first act is that Anne Washburn stole and locked away these actors <laughs> but no took these these actors this group called the civilians um which are an acting crew uh troupe in new york, new york and yeah. put them in an abandoned bank vault under wall street um and asked them to recount an episode of the simpsons and so a lot of this conversation that happens in this first act 
is that. And so there's some of it's wrong because some of them were wrong in what they said in mm. recounting it. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting about it is that it's not always necessarily going to be 100% accurate. But what do those stories become once they have been altered? And that's what we see through this play. And, and how are they altered? Mm. Um, which is really cool. Um, we, Lockie and I have been chatting in the rehearsal room a lot about the transportation of media or of stories. I'm unsure if transportation is the right word. Yeah, apparently everyone hates you saying everyone that. Everyone hates that. I think it, transmission, they said, was better. Yeah. I think transportation gets the vibe along. How is... How media has been transported. Yeah, how it's been yeah. passed, how has it been passed along. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how that changes it. Um, mm. And We're actually doing a course at the moment, adaptation from text to screen. Shout out to Kate Flaherty. <laughs> um, and in that we're talking about adaptation and you know, is adaptation a, a proper form of, I guess, artistic output. Um, yeah, which I actually find so fascinating. Which is interesting, and I guess it links to this, because them retelling the story, obviously they, don't, they cannot create a cartoon like The Simpsons. Mm. So it has to change format with the way they're presenting it, if they do want to present it, and they do in the second act. Um, but also, yeah, they, you know, lines might be wrong, um, there's a lot that needs to change, which is, which is very interesting. But um, yeah, so how does media transform? And you see that from the first act to the second act, and then again to the third act, where this story, it's it's all centered around one episode, which is um, don't tell them. I won't tell them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a really good episode. Um, yeah, one of my personal. Which favorites. is based on a film that's based on a book or another film. Something like that. I think it's originally a book, then there was a film, then there's another adaptation. Also, of the film. Robert Mitchum. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is really cool, and that's I guess also leads us into why The Simpsons. Um, so Anne has talked about this. We made Anne. We've done, we've done a, Washburn a little bit of uh, <laughs> research, Miss Washburn. Um, and so, as I mentioned previously, they were going to use Friends instead of The Simpsons, um, but decided not to. And in some interview, I don't know the source, don't quote me on this, um, but she, she spoke about how The Simpsons itself is built on cultural references and, like, pop culture. Um, if you haven't watched a Simpsons episode, watch one. If you have, you'd know that a lot of the gags or jokes are um, rip-offs or, you know, parodying... Um, other either forms of art, like movies, TV shows, books, or are referencing um, pop culture events. Um, and, you know, an easy way to note this is from all the celebrity guest stars. They have Lady Gaga playing herself. Um, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Um, and a, a, a bunch of stuff like that. Like this, the episode that they're recounting in this episode is actually named after... The episode that, sorry, recounting the show is actually named after the original, the original movie. Source. Yeah, the original source. Um, so The Simpsons itself is already displaying this adaptation of text and the transportation of media and how it moves. And so with the characters in the post-electric uh, um, world trying to recount this episode, not only are they remembering The Simpsons, but through it they're also remembering other, I guess, significant, quote-unquote, um, moments in either pop culture or just, um, I guess, culture. Real. Western culture, that is. Yeah, yeah. Mainly. So true. 
Yeah. So it is. It's very like. It's like past the parcel, I guess. Mm. And each layer is another reference, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating. But. No, I've got nothing. But yeah, really. <laughs> but I did want to talk about. Um, let's talk about the process. Our, our fun little process. Let's talk about us as, who, how our process. Well, let's talk been about been driven. Our theater experience. Then we'll go into the process. Sure, yeah. let's do it. You go first. No, you. Um, I've never directed before. Virgin. Okay, you'll go. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I've done some acting. Um. Yeah, as I was a really good actor. <laughs> no, I, Lachlan's a really good actor. Respect. No, no. Oh, you're stubborn. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I've I've done theatre. I love doing it because it's fun. <laughs> what kind of what kind of productions have you been in? What kind of well, well, Lachlan. Um, I don't know. I really like like absurdist stuff. Um, have you actually been in any absurdist? Not stuff? really. Oh, I was in my year twelve, like final exam. Boy called Flag was kind of absurdist. Mm. You're an absurdist cool. playwright now, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I'm not a, a playwright, but I like writing absurdist stuff. No, but um, you're acting in an absurdist play right now, aren't you? Is it absurd? Yes. Oh, you are as well, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love theatre. I love stepping into the body of someone else and being able to tell other people's stories that aren't mine. Because sometimes I think I don't have anything important to say. Would you rather do a Shakespeare or Oscar Wilde? Mm, Oscar Wilde, probably. Good. Um, <laughs> but I've never directed before. Um, but I'd love to. I've worked close with lots of directors. I've worked with <laughs> the Roger Hodgman. <laughs> he's like this guy who's almost dead who's married to this famous actress. Yeah, and um, he's like a semi-famous... Director. Director. He always talks about how he's like, oh, yeah, when I worked with Samuel Jackson. And it's like, bro, come on, don't flex. Um, anyway, I did a production with him over the summer where I was both an actor and the assistant stage manager. So I was able to work alongside him and get to look at his process. And he's directed like a bunch of plays. So that was good to me, for me to be like, he worked at VCA, didn't he? Yeah. He he was the head of VCA. Um, and so I was like, okay, this guy seems pretty chill. Like it doesn't look like, obviously it's going to be hard. Um, but like, I reckon I can give it a go. But I'm co-directing with Lachlan, who's had experience. I've, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit. Yeah, you have. Been what here have, and what have you directed? <laughs> Thanks for asking. That's why I'm, <laughs> no, I, my directorial virginity was taken in, no, it was supposed to be first year, but it wasn't. Um, start of second year when I directed The Larry Project. <laughs> Stop, that's get the shit out of me. How do, nah, I'm sorry, I'm so thrown off. <laughs> wow, I didn't know there were things that could happen on that board. Uh, um, yeah, so I directed um, The Laramie Project for Wombrin Hall, my my hometown pride. Um, don't move your bottle away just so you can press the button again. I'm watching you. Um, which was so much fun. I worked with some absolutely wonderful people. Um, shout out to Emily Austin, who... <laughs> no, put the clapping one on. I love Emily. Yeah. Um, who was <laughs> my co-director. Um, she'll get it. Standing joke. Moving on. Um, but of woman horse. Of woman horse. <laughs> 
Shout out to Aroni captioning in 2022, um, which was just a so much fun and there were some phenomenal actors in that which was a, like an, a true delight to work with mm. learned so much about the directorial um process which i've been able to implement since but then later that year i also got another opportunity to direct a play called an ideal husband by oscar wilde <laughs> you're having way too much fun with that um what are you gonna Go on. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, which is, you know, a, just a silly, goofy play. Um, very silly, goofy. Uh, a, a period piece, mm. 19th century. Um, uh, man ma has, a, has a wife. <laughs> wow. Man has a wife. And then this other lady pulls up and says, you, you tr traded secrets to the enemy or something. And I'm going to tell everyone if you don't. Give me your money and blackmails him and all this drama and it was it was funny as hell but yeah it was a silly goofy time it had some wonderful people and it worked with some slayers mm. and now here i am with the isaiah pritchard oh, stop it is it this one um who i'm taking his directorial virginity yeah we're working together on it um and I'm really excited. We're working with a banging team. It is um, a banging team. Who we are going to be so keen to introduce to you over the next couple of few weeks. Yeah. Um, bring some in to have a little chit chat. Chit chat, chit chat. Um, but that's enough about us. Yeah. So the process. That was gross. Let's talk about the process. So there's this wonderful human called Katie Mitchell. Katie Mitchell OBE to you. OBE. OBE. Um, what does OBE stand for? Uh, it's like Order of the Broadway. British Empire or something. <laughs> she is a, a phenomenal <coughs> British director who mm. wrote a phenomenal book about directing cool. called The Director's Craft. If you'd like to read it, do it. It is somewhere on the internet. Uh, I don't remember where I got it from, but it, it's on there. Um, also, you can buy a copy of it. Yeah, give us some money. Um, yeah. For you, I'm going to go to a random page on it and just... Read a sentence so you'll be able to see how beautiful it is. What? <coughs> uh, page 92. At this point in the process, think forward to how the characters will use the place or places event by event and how everything in that place, including the furniture, will be arranged. Thanks wow. for that waste of time. <laughs> anyway, the book is great. Um, it's phenomenal. Recommend it, especially if you're an up-and-coming emerging director who wants to learn a bit more about it, or if you're just interested in the directing process, it gives you insight, or actually just the creative process, it gives you insight into heaps of stuff. Yeah. Um, but for this, I'd never used it before, um, but it was we, we kind of wanted to work on it and integrate it into our directing process to try and learn from it and become better directors. And so we, we've gone through that process a little bit and we used some of that. So I guess we should probably start with how we, how we prepared our own thoughts on the play. How did we? Well, he doesn't remember because he didn't do it. I, I did. <laughs> um, no, but essentially we just worked through the we worked through the play. We looked at some character work. We looked at place where they're situated in each mm -hmm. act. What what surrounds them? We really want to get a sense of of the circumstances that they're yeah, living the in. Circumstances. Um, and so that they're able to really ground themselves, especially the actors, but also the cast, uh, the creatives and ourselves are able to ground themselves in the action. Mm. 
which has been a, a delight. It's like a murder mystery. Like you get to you pick apart clues and the text and you pull it apart and you get yeah. to really, really, really dig into it. So a big it. part of this, which um, old mate Miss Mitchell talks about, is uh, creating a big old list of facts and questions you have about the piece. So like going through, seeing exactly what um, the script is telling you uh, and then also what the script isn't telling you, what's the subtext. And any questions you have about the text or any questions that arise, you note down and then do some back history study on. Mm. So you try and find answers for them. Um, and obviously us as directors, we don't want to, you know, give these answers to the people we're working with. We want them to find them. And we, you know, they may have different answers to us, but the whole idea is that, that we as directors should know our, uh, we should have our own idea of um, answers to all these questions and what the text is saying and what is happening in the text so that if people are ever struggling with it in the process, we can usher them. Um, you okay? <laughs> Spacing out. <laughs> no. We can, we can <laughs> usher them in, not the right direction, but in a direction. Mm. And so we did a lot of research, a lot of studying in regards to what it actually means or what it would be like if all the electricity went out. Um, yeah. Which is pretty crazy. It's nuts. There's this, like this 20-minute video on YouTube about what would happen in the first 60 minutes if electricity went out. It's wild. So many people die. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so many people Especially die. old people and people in hospitals. Yeah. Not so. Um, but, yeah. No, it's been it's been a wonderful process. Um, and it's it's it gave us a lot of insight into how much work a director should actually be doing in preparation for a, a production. A show, yeah. And so it's a fair amount. It's a lot. Um, and so Lockie and I had the idea of directing together start of last year. And then last year we talked about it a lot and we n- knew we wanted to direct this show. Um, we worried, not worried, but we, we thought it wouldn't get picked because it's quite a big show. Silly, goofy, spooky. Um <laughs> It's a big show to do because it has musical elements in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's definitely a show that requires a lot of, um, I guess, thinking and working on before you even get to the rehearsal room. And so we got a slot three, four, slot four, four. for um, Nuts, the National University Theatre Society's Check it um, out on Facebook plays. and Instagram. So good. Um, and we, we initially also, w- also, yeah. Oh, I know this is not going to be published in time, but check out Fringe Festival, yeah, 23rd real. to 26th of August. Listen. Go see it. There's some slay people. Week, what week's up? Week five. Week five. So good. Um, and what was I saying? Oh yeah. No. So we were originally going to do this show. We we're hoping to do it in the first sem, but I think it's worked out for the best doing yeah. it this semester because it's given us Plenty of time. Uh, lots of time for us to sit with and just analyze the text over and over again mm. um, to try and get to know the text, also get to know our own kind of opinions on it and um, what we believe it's saying. Um, and now I'm going to bed at night and dreaming about Mr. Burns. Are you actually? Yeah. What do you dream about? Well, I, about like the rehearsal room and convoys with the cast, which is great. That's cute. I love it. That's cute. Although I did have a dream the other day that I met Tyler, the creator. 
<laughs> anyway. Thanks for sharing. Um, and then we got to the fun. This is almost always my favorite part, although mm-hmm. this one was super stressful. Yeah. The auditions and crew selection process. Mm-hmm. Holy heck, it was fun. It was um, so much fun. There was so many good people that auditioned. Yeah. Like it was insane. Like we had such a wonderful pool of talent. We could have we could have cast the show like time and time again. Yeah. In regards to what we had over sixty. Yeah, I think it was about fifty five, sixty people 60 auditioned. People auditioned, and it's a cast of eight. Mm. Um. Yeah, so that's. I do can the see maths. you doing maths in your head. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it now. <laughs> um. And yet, that, no, it was such a fun process. Um, giving excerpts from the script for people to read. Um, letting them, you know, we give a little bit of context, but letting them read into the characters themselves. Yeah, it's so fun seeing uh, um, other people's interpretation. Yeah, of the text. and I think that's also a big thing in regards to this play is it's not a character-focused play. It's very much an ensemble piece. Mm. Um, all of the characters, they have their names and some of them you find out a bit of their, you know, their backstory, but a lot of it isn't, a lot, re- yeah. isn't revealed. And mm. so I think it's definitely up, in, up to interpretation which I always love when scripts up to interpretation because it means there's never going to be the same showing mm. of this play yeah. uh, twice over. That was another reason why in that first show that Lachlan and I, and I did, I loved it so much because there's 76 different scenes. There's no character names for how they can be read. Um, and so you know, one scene you could do with three people or you could do it with five or you could do it with one person monologuing the whole thing. And the scenes can be in base practically any order. Um, and so I love that because it means, yeah, no two shows can be the same. Um, but so then we cast the show and got all the crew. Yes, our lovely little cast and crew. And then we went We're on break. Wonderful people. And then we went on the winter break. We had a read through. We had a read through. And then we went on break. Mm-hmm. And then we, yeah, we existed for a while separately. Yeah. It was a rough time for us. It was rough. We had a bit of separation anxiety. We don't talk fine. about yeah. that. Um, and so then we came back and we had rehearsals. Um, there were a few people that were like overseas and stuff doing their, doing their thing in the winter break, which as they should. Um, so we had a few zoomies, um, and we had some in cast, uh, in person stuff and it was great. Um, a lot of the first couple of weeks. And I think this is quite different to how a lot of, um, university shows operate is that the first couple of weeks we spent purely doing work on the text and the world of the text. Mm. And so like, what does that look like? Well, it's very grounding yourself in, in the place um, and grounding yourself in, in the world of the play and the, the circumstances. Where do these characters come from? How do their lives originate? Why are they together? Um, and so a lot of it really was just, let's see if we can hear Isaiah. I don't know if you heard that. Um, he's having a snotty. Um, but, uh, and again, um, sorry, you've thrown me off. Um, I, (laughs) um, yeah, the, the world of the text, the place that they ground themselves in, who are their characters? How are they, how do they relate to each other? Um, what time do we exist in? What does that mean for them contextually? All of these sort of things are so important to the world of the text that the characters live in. And so before we start, we even touch and pick up the text to start blocking and all this kind of stuff, we really have to look at 
or these the facts and questions of the the world that they live in mm. um and and why are they existing in this way and like what are the motivations and intentions behind what they do um and that's another important thing is looking at inv- events and intentions through the plays looking whether the action shifts at each point when do intentions shift when what are what are the overall objectives of the characters but what are their objectives within events and within scenes themselves? Like, mm. what are they trying to do in the short term versus the long term? And so, these are all things. As like, even as an actor as well, I find it so helpful to really think about and ground yourself in, because then you can have an explanation and a justification for your actions mm. as as a character and as an actor. So, a lot of that was spent doing that, and we are now in the blocking phase, yeah. which is so much fun. Um, Moving through that. Yeah. Well, with, with that as well, uh, helping build that for the actors, I think they found it um, insightful. I hope so. And fun. Um, Sorry if you didn't. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's very easy to just jump straight into blocking and kind of skip all that pre-work, but it really does inform all the decisions you'll make whilst mm. blocking and rehearsing. And so I think the characters are already quite, um, I guess, defined... Um, already or like you know have they have concepts of the character even though we're we've we're still blocking the first act but but about another thing we did was little improvisations Mm. um which was really cool and it's a thing that old mate katie mitchell Mitchell. um goes on about how uh having the cast doing structured improvs uh Mm. which sounds that's important uh but we'll we'll explain it yeah um can be really insightful. So why is a structured improv important, Lachlan? Well, so we talk about improvisations and obviously intuitively you think, okay, that just means making things up, right? Wrong. Um, what's the, is there, is there a bump on sound? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't made a joke. <laughs> Fuck. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> I'm gonna throw hands in a second. Um, so let's 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 go back. You would think you'd think that having an improvisation would just mean like having no structure and just making things up, mm-hmm. right? Wrong. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, shut up, Lachlan. So <laughs> the important part of of improvisations for for plays and for theatre is to at least know the circumstances that you're grounding yourself in. Because if you don't know that, then you're just going to be making things up for no, literally no point whatsoever. That aren't true. And you could be going for like 20 to 30 minutes with just no no objective, no point, no events, no intentions, no nothing. And so there really needs to be in place a structure of where are you? When is the action occurring? Mm-hmm. What's happened in the last 24 hours before this action occurs? Who's involved? What are the relationships between these people? What are the events that you want to happen in this improvisation? It doesn't matter when they happen. It can happen over a 20-minute period. It can happen over five. What are the events that you want to happen and what are the intentions of the characters within the scene that you want to show shine through? Mm-hmm. That allows actors to really get a grasp on the backstories of of these characters. And a lot of improvisations that we want to do are things like the immediate circumstances of act one. Mm -hmm. So just before the play, um, if you have a more detail and character oriented play, then earlier than that, if you'd like, uh, and then before each act starts doing the immediate circumstances of each of those acts as well. Mm -hmm. And also the trigger event. Yeah. What is the trigger event? 
Isaiah. Electricity going out. Okay, he doesn't know. Um, as oh. a concept, you oh. fool. <laughs> the trigger, so the trigger event is what event or action occurs that triggers the story, the, the, story, narrative. the narrative, the play um, to begin. Mm. Um, and so in Mr. Burns, what is it, Isaiah? A post-electric play. Oh, <laughs> uh, in Mr. Burns, it is, <laughs> uh, it is all electricity going out. show me those um <laughs> exactly exactly and so then we, we we start there and we go well wh- wh- how do we how do we work from there and so that's how we've been working with that which i i th- i wasn't there for the, for the improvs it went really well um so we, what we did the main ones we did were immediate circumstances of act one so what happens right before uh what the audience sees on stage um, which was really cool for developing relationships. And then we also did, because they're a little group of survivors, they didn't know each other before they kind of came into this group. And it does say in the script that some of the characters joined only, um, you know, a few days prior. And so we did some uh, improv scenes of the group meeting, you know, meeting each other. How do they come across each other? And that was really good to kind of um, influence each of the cast members on how well they know each other, the kind of authority of mm. that, or um, yeah, the, I guess authority that each person has within the group, yeah. um, which was really fun to work on. And then we also did a couple of um, ones on a couple of improvs on like generic, not generic, but like circumstances or um, events that would be likely to transpire um, living in a, I guess, post-apocalyptic world. Um, for example, scavenging for food mm. or bumping into someone... The theatre, no. <laughs> <laughs> bumping into someone who's, uh, you know, hostile or meeting a stranger, um, which is really fun, both enjoyable to uh, see the characters be developed, but I think also really... Uh, good for the cast in regards to building the world of the play Mm. um, and understanding more than... Because on the surface, it's very easy to just be like, these are some people sitting around a fire retelling Simpsons. Ha ha funny. Go. Yeah. Yeah. But if you actually have all this backstory, that's going to influence that a lot. You know, why are they telling this this story? Is this a thing that that they do every night? Is this, you know, they don't have Netflix anymore. They don't have radio. They don't have Spotify. They just have each other and conversation. Yeah. What do they like, have for entertainment? Is this a ritual that's begun? Like yeah. within, even just within the first act, is this just a, a routinely thing? Yeah. Or is this something new that they've started that yeah. that action starts to unfurl? Is this when we come into the story or have they already been telling stories for like half an hour when we enter the, yeah. into the action? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's so interesting with like when we jump into act two where they're now their livelihood kind of yeah a traveling acting troupe performing episodes of the simpsons like they um, need to do it for their survival to be paid which again uh goes into the theme of the role of the artist within society how does it change from an entertainment thing to is there a wanky button like which ones are which one <laughs> yeah i reckon that's all right or... no. <laughs> <laughs> no i reckon the chimes Okay, wanky. 
Yeah. Um, that's yeah. That's <laughs> gonna be the intro to our show. Welcome to Wanky. <laughs> okay. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. Let's chat about what we plan to do in this show. Yeah. So true. We should probably talk about that. So the purpose, I, as I and I talked about this, the purpose of this show was for a few things. One, we were like, it would be cool to do sort of multimedia stuff. Um, but two, we want to really promote the show. Slay. Um, three. Well, I don't think there are many people listening, but like, yeah. Well, I know, but you know, you can, you can never have enough information. Creative output. Exactly. Um, and three, I guess, we wanted to talk about theatre, storytelling, the art in and of itself. Yeah. And get get in, like, local crew, creatives, actors, especially, like, both within the university campus and outside and of it, yeah. to really just talk about the, the production process, creativity, what are the pathways, this sort of thing. Like, the beginning of hopefully a broader conversation on theatre mm. um, for people within the ANU, which mm. I think could be really exciting. Yeah. But obviously... <laughs> Stay tuned, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing as well is this show is primarily about storytelling and I guess theatre in in and of itself. Yeah, as a medium. Um, which is why we wanted to do this as well because the show explores such interesting and we both think crucial themes. Uh, they're very important. And I think uh, spending this time chatting about it, uh, analysing it and talking to people about storytelling and theatre and art and expression uh, is a really cool way to spend our time to appreciate something that um, I think is sometimes underappreciated but is also, yeah, I guess integral to the show itself. So it's for the show but it's also for art. (laughs) (laughs) You pressed the wrong one. No, I pressed the wrong one. Oh, no, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And with that... Does this one do anything? Uh, yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Oh, we should have used that. There was a few moments when, like... Awkward silence. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, it's also for us to have fun. Um, Thanks uh, in anticipation to our one <laughs> or two listeners, which will probably just be ourselves. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, this is hopefully the start of an exciting... Um, podcasty journey journey. Um, and we we look forward to either having you on the show or having you listen to it yeah and come watch the show (laughs) yeah come watch the show week eight or else promotion actually we'll be quite devastated (laughs) okay um (laughs) thank you uh thank you thank you and good night